people blame the transportation system and, and they point to all the problems with the public transportation system as if they were created by itself. The reality is we don't fund it. When you look at the average lifetime expenditure people make on cars, people could retire yeah. as much as five to 10 years earlier if they it's, didn't yeah. actually ever own a car. You know, we, we induce the demand of cars by creating more space for cars. People's mindset changes, and you have to kind of move people in that direction, but that requires changing the infrastructure. We're going to get rid of park minimums, we're going to get rid of parking spaces, and we're going to start building this infrastructure to protect and preserve for people the opportunity to move through our city with something other than a car, because that's what's going to start changing people's minds about what should we be investing in and doing. People want it more than they think becoming more engaged in local government and public meeting and really talking about what your community needs. That really is an opportunity to educate elected officials who may just not know about the issue the way you do. Worried about the end of the world, right? Bikes actually could save the entire world. This we should start with. There'll be like a little bit of banter, blah blah blah, that will fade in from from the music. And now we're on the show. This is Bike Talk Live on KPFK live stream. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you know we got off to a rough start, but here we are. Oh, I wasn't supposed to break the We're fourth good. wall. We're good. Yeah, no, but you can break it because we haven't started yet. We haven't. This, no, as that far was as I'm concerned, start. we haven't started yet. That was the start. Today is we Friday the 11th? Uh, no, 10th. 10th. Friday the 10th. I, I feel like we should. 2020. It's a new year. It's our second show of the year already. We're really burning through them. And yeah. uh, we got Nick Richard and myself, Don Ward, hey. on Bike Talk. KPFK live stream. And uh, today we're going to talk to John Bowders again. Again. More detail. Mm -hmm. More in-depth. And there's a lot to talk about. There is a lot to talk about. He's up in the Bay Area. Mm -hmm. Emeryville. So he's a Bay Bay. Like B-A-E-B-A-Y. B-A-Y-B-A-E. Bay Bay. Okay. That's... Um, so we'll call him up. He was, uh, he was, what, what did he do? He, he's, he was just been doing a whole bunch of stuff, but he was the mayor of Emeryville. Emeryville, yeah. Which okay. is where the Amtrak goes. Like you did, I got off at Emeryville when I went up to the Bay Area. Uh, oh, cool. Was, yeah. And now there's a connection to get into the city straight from Emeryville. You I need mean, to pull up Google Maps because I don't know all these little cities up there. The Bay Area. Well, but. one of the things we're learning from John is the significance of Emeryville. Okay. And, and that's where the Amtrak station is. That's where you get in if you're taking the Amtrak from here. Is it then? And then it moves on to, to Portland, right? The Amtrak stops in. If you go in there, is, I went. Is I that was going that line east? I took it east. I think. Oh, you did. There's a line that goes from here to Portland. I mean, I know I took it east, but I think I stopped in Emeryville. Did you to do it? Okay, cool. So we got Emeryville on the map. All right, should we call him? Yeah. He's ready? Yeah. Okay. We're just going to call him. Yeah. Cold call him. That's how we do it. Just put him right in. Yeah. Hope it uh, doesn't go to an answering machine. I don't think it will. 
No, he's very responsive. Okay. Like on Twitter. So it's calling. Now what? Well, what happened? How do we here? usually do this? John. Is John there? I'm here. Can you hear me? Yes. Yeah. Amazing. Okay. <laughs> he was the mayor of Emeryville. Did you know that? I did Don't. not know that last time. That's how come these details didn't get to me? Do you realize this is like the second mayor that we've tar- talked to? We have <laughs> we have uh the we had the mayor of Culver City and now the mayor of Emeryville. We had the supervisor of what's that county over in the East Coast with uh Julie Brisman. Who flipped off Trump? Oh, it starts with an L. Loudon. Loudon County. We're we're really uh, we're we're doing we're political. We get a lot of political people. A lot of heavy hitters. So, hi John. Hey, hey how you doing? <laughs> Great. Good. So you're on Good. you're on Bike Talk, live on the KPFK live stream. Awesome. Uh, Thanks this, for having me. This is Don Ward and Thank Nick you. Richard, and uh, we're bringing you back. We want to talk a little bit more, or a lot more, about what's going on up there in the Bay Area. The Bay Area is kind of an inspiration for for Los Angeles and Southern California when it comes to transportation. You guys have like heavy duty transportation projects going on up there that seem useful. I don't know. Maybe it's just grass is always greener kind of perspective, but it seems like there's a whole ton more stuff going on up there that we need to catch up on. I know what John's going to say. It's not enough. <laughs> it's not enough. It's not enough, and um, I am watching the development of the LA Metro with um, curious excitement. So you guys are doing some cool things. Uh, happy to see LA is uh, finally looking to move beyond uh, life with just a car. But yeah, uh, San Francisco has uh, taken some steps forward for the area, and uh, happy that we're doing that. Awesome. Yeah, and you are. I, I titled this episode the most active. The Bay. What did I call it? the Bay Area's most active bike politician. And it was kind of a play on words because you are doing things to draw attention to this car infrastructure, this car-only infrastructure that involves like running and biking and you're using your talents or your interests to do it. You want to talk about some of that? Yeah, so it you get elected into office and you, you learn the different machinations of how um, government agencies work, um, city governments, your, your city staff, your county transportation agency, regional air district, regional transportation agency. And uh, for me, I just felt like a lot of what we were talking about was uh, really entrenched in maintaining the status quo um, and that there was a lot of trepidation and hesitation around being bold about some of the things that we need to do and the ideas that were being discussed at length are things that we should have been doing, you know, 15 years ago. Everyone's excited about electric vehicle charging stations. I mean, give me a break. So it's, it's like, you know, that's, that's not going to solve our problem. Right. And mm-hmm. then people are talking about, well, maybe we should uh, reduce parking requirements. I mean, we should have reduced new parking minimums 10 years ago. And, parking uh, minimums, so, uh, uh, parking minimums yeah, are par- really the, mm-hmm root core disease of our our planning right like so much can be traced Completely. back to that to parking minimums it's funny you, it's, you know if you think of if you if you think about it just think about how how there's nothing else in the land use world where if you were to go in and say hey you know what we're going to do we're going to take this public park over here and we're going to let individual people just put up stuff think about people who are get upset about 
tents, for example, in a public park. But we let people park their private vehicles all over public streets all the time. Um, and, and we basically, and people will fight tooth and nail to the death to defend their parking spaces on mm-hmm. streets. And we don't make streets safer. We don't allow them to be multimodal. We don't create space for people who don't maybe want to use a car for any number of reasons. And there's this there's this real unhealthy addiction in American culture, um, but especially in California, to parking and the creation um, and preservation of car-only uses for roads or car-prioritized uses for roads. And we have to start showing people that people actually want to do it differently. And so for me, to that question about using my space and kind of pulling some of what I do up on social media um, is is about raising awareness because a lot of the conversations I'm having with my colleagues on some of these different boards has, has really been about what I've learned is like their experience and they don't take buses, they don't bicycle. And so their perception is that that's not something that's valued or needed. Uh, and we really just don't have representation at an adequate level right now from people who want active transportation, want protected bike lanes, want us to adequately fund transit. And so it's kind of about putting it back on my colleagues in, in some way to have that conversation, to move the, the arrow away from, well, what is, what is needed for the car today to a space where it's, well, okay, so for those of us who don't, right, I mean, I had a battle over $3 for a number of months now with the Air District staff because we have a reimbursement mm-hmm. form, and if you drive to an Air District meeting, you get reimbursed the federal mileage rate. I bike to those meetings, I don't get reimbursed. I don't get reimbursed for being the only carbon-neutral person going to the meeting. Um, and I, I, I raised that issue repeatedly to the point where at the December meeting, the staff announced that they were going to institute a policy that, um, gives people a $3 reimbursement for biking or walking to the meeting. People might laugh and say, what's the point of that? But it's the start of a conversation right, about right. why do we have incentives about, why are all the incentives around cars? Why subsidy. do we give people a reason to drive? How, how much I mean, are so people, that, that's, that's where we're at. How much are people getting, just to digress a little bit, but how much are people getting to reimburse to drive to the meeting what's what's an average reimbursement some of them drive 50 some of them drive 50 60 miles so they get each way and so they get 54 cents 54 cents a mile uh so a half dollar each way so they make 60 dollars in reimbursement 60 dollars i mean yeah coming to the meeting and i i i biked 41 miles around the north bay and i was compensated nothing for it so um, and is... it's not about the compensation, but it's about the mindset, which is right. it's the same with employers. Like we tell people here, you, one of your benefits to come into the job, we're going to give you money for uh, a parking pass, right? I went and discussed with my employer. I was like, I want you to pay my annual bike membership for my Ford Go bike. Like it's 160 bucks. It's cheaper than parking in two months. Like, you know, so why, why don't we have incentives and, and ways to like both, both promote public health, but also climate health? and better use of our streets. So there's, there's really a need to change the whole dialogue away from the car. Well, and the meetings you're going to, there, it's, you're on the, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know if we mentioned this just now, but you're on the Air Quality Management Board for the Bay Area representing right. Alameda, right? Yeah, Alameda and, County. Okay. Alameda County. And it's a, they're the people who are in charge of clean air, and they're subsidizing uh, drivers to right. come there by car. Yeah. So that sounds crazy and it's true. Yeah. Okay, so there's that's one policy that needs to change. 
and congratulations for even getting them to, you know, pass you three bucks. Now it's about ratcheting up that amount, right? And getting it on par with somebody that drives 60 miles. And, uh, right. you know, that's that's a small victory. So congratulations on that. Hey, so, thanks. I, I, as I told them, I, I'll take it. I take little victories as we go. The conversation has to go forward. It does. You don't usually solve the whole problem with one bite. So, little bit by little bit, we're going to keep moving the needle. Yeah, I like that. I like that approach. Just like every possible angle, get it, get it in there. So good for you. Um, yeah. So at one point, um, well, do you want to also talk more about that ride, that forty-one mile ride? I mean, you described it as being all of these different environments that, and you described the, the way it was like, I forget some of the terms you used. Like it was, a, you know, the, there was the Christmas and then there was the, like the nature and then there was yeah. the. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, so the, first of all, I have to give mad props to uh, one of my favorite organizations on the planet, which is uh, bike East Bay. Um, mm-hmm. And is staffed by some fantastic people um, over there, Ginger Jew uh, Dave Campbell, Rob Prince, the folks who are at Bike East Bay uh, really put a lot of sweat and labor into what has transformed the Bay Area and especially the East Bay over the past um, decade. And one of their biggest advocacy wins was to turn the third lane of the westbound Richmond San Rafael Bridge, which is about uh, three miles long. Um, it spans from Contra Costa County in the city of Richmond across the north part of the bay to um, Marin County. And they converted that third lane into a um, bike, to a bike lane. And uh, that was not easy. There was a lot of opposition uh, within Marin County. There was some opposition elsewhere in the Bay Area about concerns about commutes, traffic, congestion, getting people getting to work in Marin County. Um, you know, and Marin County is notoriously bad for not developing enough housing. So it, it kind of is like they wanted to have whatever suits them, it feels like sometimes. But um, that bridge opened in November. And the current status with the Bay Bridge, for those who aren't familiar with the Bay Area, there's an island in the middle, and so there's an east and a west span. And the east span between the island and Oakland and Emeryville um, has, a, has a whole separated bike path on it that goes to the island. But the western span um, still does not have bike lanes on it. So you can't bike from the center of the East Bay to San Francisco unless you go all the way up to the North Bay and around or down to the Dumbarton Bridge in the South Bay, um, which have bike lanes on them. And so the North Bay one on the Richmond San Rafael Bridge just opened. Um, and that's, I have been that's, that's know, the one to Treasure begging, Island. Begging with that? That's the one to Treasure Island. No, they already had that, right? No, no. Yeah, no, the one to Treasure Island is the Bay Bridge. So the Richmond San Rafael Bridge is the far north one. You can't get to San Francisco just going across the middle of the bay on the Bay Bridge because they don't have the western span. Uh, there's no bike lanes on it. And so when this bridge opened in November, um, you know, I, I had had a debate with a colleague of mine at the December 4th Air District meeting um, in which there were some, you know, negative things said about transit, people saying people wouldn't bike here. They, you know, these things aren't, these aren't, you know, they aren't plausible. We need to focus on the electric vehicle stations. This is, this is where we should invest our time and interest and money and um, I've been saying for a while that we have this whole campaign called Spirit Air, and we try to, you know, communicate to people that the air quality is low, don't drive, take alternatives. And I was like, you know, we don't give people meaningful choices. We have to either raise the tolls on Spirit Air days or take 
pull funding and put it into transit investment, um, or we should be building this alternative infrastructure. And so I pledged that the next meeting I was going to bike to the meeting, regardless of how long or how far it took me. Um, and I did this bike ride and I documented it. And Rob Prince from Bike East Bay met me at 5.30 in the morning. Um, over in, He met me in Berkeley. And uh, I biked the San Francisco Bay Trail uh, around the North Bay, about 41 miles. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was pretty cold. and uh, But I had the opportunity to you know, do this ride, which hadn't been available to us until about three weeks before. Um, I did this ride and I saw all kinds of things that it just made the experience way better than it could have ever been in a car. Um, went to the town of Point Richmond, which, you know, right before Christmas, it was all at six in the morning, had, you know, the, the street lamps and, and Christmas lights. And it looked like a, looked like a Dickens village. It, <laughs> and like there's nobody out on the street and biked through it. It was quiet. The air was really crisp. And went across the San Rafael bridge and I watched from the top of the bridge. We stopped and watched the sunrise over Alameda County, um, mm. you know, at six, 6.45 in the morning and bike down to Marin County. And there's a part where the, um, the Mill Valley and Sausalito bike trail, uh, bike route five in Marin County, um, goes through like a marsh area. And there were geese, um, out on the marsh. There was mist coming off of it, steam. Um, it looked like medieval England and it was quiet and went all the way to San Francisco, uh, Golden Gate Bridge and, uh, came across the bay, uh, at about eight in the morning, met some other folks, uh, uh, who were over there, uh, to, to bike with us. And we, Stacy Randecker, a couple others, and we biked along the Marina district and the Embarcadero and dropped Rob off at the ferry building, uh, biked back under the Bay Bridge where I literally live on the other side of it. So it would have been an eight mile bike, uh, as opposed to 41, if we had a completed bike lane and biked to my meeting, showed up in my, uh, my Jersey and my bib and sat down at the meeting and, was the first person there. <laughs> so the 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 bike path that should <laughs> exist just goes halfway across the bay, and right. that's that's along the eighty that goes to Treasure Island, right? right. And then yeah. is there a plan in the future to connect it to San Francisco? There has to be, or no? Well, that's that's the challenge. There's the discussion about that. So when the uh, eastern span was damaged in the eighty nine quake, and we redid the whole eastern bridge, and that was finished in. 2014 um it included in that design plan uh the bike pedestrian element to it so the western span is uh, on the other side of the island is still the original bridge from the 1930s and the engineers that have looked at it it would either need to have a completely separated bike ped bridge across the west part of the bay or it would need to be attached to the bridge with other types of support I think it was referred to as flying buttresses. Um, I'm not an engineer, so I couldn't tell you exactly how that works. But it would it would cost a, a lot of money, and there's a lot of people in the Bay Area who just don't see the value of investing in that um, that type of transit infrastructure. But I could tell you personally, I would bike across the Bay every day to my job. I, I'm sure a lot um, of people would. That was made available. Yeah. Exactly, I agree. Yeah. Uh, how there, much is there a number? How, how much would it cost? What's um, you know, the range is, the, I, I don't want to put a pin on that because I, I don't have all that information, but I, I believe it, it was to, to modify it and update it. It would cost about $100 million. Oh, oh. nothing. So if if we weren't actually, having... Well, it uh, should be nothing. If we yeah, didn't have to it should be It should be nothing. You think about the benefits to the environment, you know. Yeah, I mean, $100 million, I was waiting to hear something like a billion dollars yeah, or something. <laughs> it it a, could be more than that. I could be wrong. 
So, yeah. So, speaking of the, uh, the AQMD, or the Bay Area AQMD, and their attitudes towards uh, public trans transportation, it's pretty surprising what you what we've what's come out recently with the head of the board just making fun of buses, right? Or oh, he's not the head of the board. No, um, the chair. We, oh, the head of the board in in Los Angeles. Oh, now. LA, yes. right? Uh, not 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 your your head of your AM, AQMD has been stepped in it for sure. Yeah, um, he said he said he, I'm I'm eighty three or however, and you know nobody my age is going to ride a bus to the airport. And 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 right. yet he's complaining that he had to. It took him an hour and a half to get to the airport because of traffic. People that are he's. You said he was eighty three. Yeah. I haven't heard this story yet, but people that get into their eighties, you know, even earlier, can't can't drive anymore. You know, a lot of people. You, they need a bus. They need the bus. I mean, I saw that happen with actually both my parents when they. You know, when they got into their older years, they they could not drive anymore, and they were in the middle of suburbia and didn't have a bus. And they had to take this crappy, um, forget what it's called. It's like paratransit or access paratransit in L.A. Mm-hmm. And the way mm-hmm. that you hail a access paratransit is you got to call two days in advance, and there's a whole mm-hmm. bunch of caveats and restrictions to how to use it. So they were they were kind of trapped in their in their homes. So this this guy uh, complaining about no buses or not wanting to take the bus. Should, and his uh, wife is uh, the county supervisor or something, right? Yvonne. I, I don't know his name. Yeah, okay. Who's this guy? What's his? I don't know his name. Okay, we'll have to look it and, up. But, uh, so, Burke. Burke. Mr. Burke. Mr. Burke. Yeah. Mr. Burke. Okay. Who's probably great in a lot of ways. Um, and Maybe. then. The up near you, there was somebody who was bad mouthing Bart, right? Yeah, I had a colleague who I actually really like, um, uh, who prior to my comments in the December meeting uh, about prioritizing bike infrastructure and moving political will towards you know making change real. You know, I think shared an opinion that I'll be to be fair to him, like is not uh, unique to him. Uh, the opinion that Bart Bart, it, which is our rapid transit system up here, is you know, he dirty and unreliable, and why would anyone use it, he said. And, you know, I, I think the problem is that we have this weird deny, like self-denial, um, and I've really, I've wanted to have a conversation one-on-one with him about this, but we, we complain about transportation, public transportation systems, but then we put all our money onto freeway, and we're like, let's add an HOV lane, which costs billions and billions of dollars. Let's add... Let's let's repay. Let's redo this interchange. Um, and I get the reasons to do it. For I mean, because people are driving cars. There's goods movement. There's a bunch of other economic reasons why we should do it. But people blame the transportation system, and, and they point to all the problems with the public transportation system as if they were created by itself. The reality is, we don't fund it. We don't adequately invest in it. We when, when I sit at the Alameda County Transportation Commission and I look at our annual expenditure plan, okay, like more than 80% of it goes into roads and freeways. And it's, like, and it's not going to these other things that it could go to to give us the type of transit that you have in Japan, in Asia, 
in Europe, places where it's clean, it's frequent, it's reliable, and it serves places where your mom or dad might live, right? Like it, it doesn't, we don't, we don't contemplate that. So instead people kind of turn it on it and they're like, well, it's all, it's bad. It's all this bad stuff. And yeah, well, it, it's, it doesn't get the funding it needs to operate the, the, the space that it has and, and the, meet the demand that it has. The current demand is incredible. In fact, BART has the highest fare recovery rate of any mass transportation agency in North America, or at least in the United States, I should clarify. I believe it's the United States. So it's like we, we at Fairbox Recovery, we, we have people pay to ride the system, but it, there's a demand for it, but we don't actually have enough trains. We don't have reduced headway so that people can get on trains more frequently. And we don't provide staffing and operational costs to allow people to keep them clean because they use that much. And so it just seems weird because if the road gets broken down, right, the freeway is bad, people call in and the next thing you know, a billion dollars is spent to repave the freeway. Right. Like nobody thinks about that. Like how many times do you drive down the freeway or go past the freeway where there's a construction zone all the time? And all why is that? Time, because yeah. as soon as the road is bad, we put billions of dollars into it. But we don't do that when the transportation, mass transportation system gets bad. We just tell people it's a bad system, and it's not. Now, I wonder if, has anyone done a calculation per capita of, you know, it's like public transportation, that is a a public utility, just like the roads are a public utility. Has someone put together the math on how much we're spending, you know, per mile, uh, someone on public transit versus someone on a freeway like it sounds to me a great question i don't know the answer that's a great question yeah i mean if we had some you know numbers like that we could start arguing with the opposition a little bit more on on what i see you know a lot of people talk about the fiscal nature of transportation right and we don't have these arguments buttoned up where we're talking on their terms in terms of like money and uh, a lot of times public transit gets beat up because the money is it's it's very upfront it's like we spend i think in la it's something like i've heard the gold line we spend like 30 bucks a trip per passenger of public money is what i heard somewhere wow i, I don't, don't quote me on that but it was something pretty high and and uh we haven't done that calculation for car trips, I don't think, or I have never heard the, the actual math be t- behind not just public spending, but also the public having to spend on your car and gas. We know it's like 50 cents a mile or whatever is for the private part of it, but what are we spending in terms of the the public money on infrastructure like that? You know, it'd be interesting to find out. Yeah, the amount of private private assets and wealth that individuals invest in vehicles because their cars get damaged by roads, right? And so that becomes this this trade-off. We spend tax dollars repairing roads because people don't want to spend the same money repairing their car when it gets ruined by a bad road. Um, But we dump tons of money into cars. And when you look at the average lifetime expenditure people make on cars in terms of buying cars, maintaining cars, insuring cars, putting gasoline in cars, like people could retire yeah. as much as five to 10 years earlier if they it's, didn't actually ever own a car. It's totally wild. People will drop 30 grand, even somebody yep. that's just not making that much money will drop 30 grand yep. on a car plus insurance plus gas, 
you know, and repairs, maintenance, yep. maintenance. Mm-hmm. Some we need to get this calculation so done. Yeah, it is stupid. It's a wealth drain, and if you t- if you, you Can't know, and 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 that you did do that. I did it too once. I bought a a car for like twenty grand. It was ridiculous. And if you did like a calculation on, you know, the average car is going to last five to ten years. You drop in thirty grand, and you tell someone, "Hey, do you want to spend thirty grand on a bus pass for the next ten <laughs> years for life?" They think you're crazy. But here you are spending mm-hmm. thirty grand on a car, plus all of the tax dollars behind it. So there's a lot of ways you could present it differently. You know, using like you're saying, Don, like using uh, the fiscal reasoning. So yeah, so you're save the what was the campaign called that the AQMD had? Save the air. Uh, it's called spare the air. Um. So that was, I guess, a supposedly a good intentioned campaign you know educational campaign but there was no teeth in it because there was nothing they that's, could that's kind of how i feel yeah mm-hmm. yeah so, the, the, the spare the air campaign is this educational campaign we have to inform people about when air quality is poor um and people are supposed to do things like not use wood stoves they're supposed to take alternatives to driving to work that day and but there's no impetus and so for me i'm just frustrated by things that I perceive as window dressing. And that's not to, that's not to badmouth any person whose staff at the air district that works on those things. Cause that's the direction they've been given. And those are the things that we've been doing, but why, why we don't make people think more critically. I mean, it's just like, there's a sign above the bridge. It's a spare of the air day. Like people are already in their car, right? You can put a commercial on TV. It's a spare of the air day. Like it, it doesn't occur to people when they get up in the morning and, you know, the air is smoggy. Like we, we, we have to have something different. Like why don't we charge an extra dollar on all Bay area toll bridges and all the money that's raised from that on a spare of the air day goes into funding transportation or making transit cheaper so that people do choose to use it. Yeah. How, okay. like, why aren't we, why aren't we doing those things? That's the big question. It seems like a circular, you know, argument where, we see all these things that need to be done and they aren't getting done. And we, what do we do to get those things done? You know, it, it seems like impossible mission because there's just so much stuff that's being done wrong. Like where do we start? Well, uh, you need political willpower. That's the first thing you need. So, so of, yeah. So we need to change hearts and minds of the people. Basically, we need to out market yeah. the, the automotive companies. Which is <laughs> that's 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 key. That's key. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's where I guess it starts. You know, cultural and with all these marketing dollars going into you know, the automotive industry coming from the automotive industry telling us that, that cars are, are awesome and we need to have one. We, we're nothing if we don't have like the latest, greatest 500 horsepower, you know, Dodge Challenger or whatever. So like spare the air is not giving you the same feeling that a car commercial, a well-produced car commercial gives you. (laughs) The, The budget behind spare the air is probably like, one half of one car commercial. But also it's asking you to give up 
stuff. It's not showing you how it's sexy and luxurious and high status to right. n- not burn wood. Hmm. <laughs> exactly. And to be honest with you, my least favorite thing in the world on TV is car commercials. My least favorite thing because it does exactly that. It it you know it gets the idea like your pulse is going to race. You're gonna you're gonna feel this like you know drive of excitement. You're you're going to feel powerful and sexy and you know control <laughs> control this like you control everything yeah. right and it just like speaks to all these human like the, the subtext is kind of fascinating how car commercials have been designed but we you know to the question of like how do we do it do we just like take on the automotive industry i mean that's like that's a, a dream right but i think the the real way to do it is to be involved in local government and it's stuff like we're doing in, in my city like in 2018 I proposed 40th Street is one of our most highly traveled um, east-west corridors through our city. We have a huge regional shopping center. Um, It connects to BART, and it two travel lanes in each direction with a a turn lane in the middle and parking lane. Um, And so it's a pretty wide street. And my whole thing was, like, it's a lot of cars. You can't move anywhere on 40th Street in the afternoon or on a weekend. Why? Um, And so the big push I had was let's eliminate all the parking on the north side of the street and put a two-way cycle track protected, so bikes with bike lights and everything, and let's remove a travel lane in each direction and make it a bus-only lane. Uh, If you, you know, we we induce the demand of cars by creating more space for cars. So we don't want people to come with a car. Like there's this fear that people just won't come or it'll be this carpocalypse and nobody will move. It'll be like the 405 freeway, you know, to give locals down there like a, a relatable concept like everything will become the 405 freeway if we remove a travel lane well no actually people will sit in the car at the light and they'll watch the bus fly by them and in their mind they'll be like okay is my goal to get to my destination or to enjoy my car um and what you'll find is that there are or to see people biking safely you know with a full protected barrier between them and the traffic and they've always wanted to bike but they've been afraid of biking and they see that and they're like you know what Maybe next time I come here, I will take my bike here. And they realize it actually takes me only five minutes to get there by bike because I'm not sitting in traffic at every light. And people's mindset changes, and you have to kind of move people in that direction, but that requires changing the infrastructure. Um, Vancouver has a street, and I'm going to blank on what the street name is. It's one of the streets right through the center of downtown, um, right, right close to the light rail. They have a street that had... Uh, I believe I'm going to get it right or wrong. It's either four that went down to three or three that went down to two, but they had one way street with traffic lanes and it had a part, it was three travel lanes, a parking lane, and there was a bike lane, a single bike lane between the travel lanes and the parking lane. And they removed the parking lane and they turned the existing bike lane into a like planter boxes and everything all the way down the street. And they turned the parking lane like we're going to do into a cycle track. And the number of people who began biking, the count of people who began biking shot up dramatically. It went from like three to 4,000 in, in a, uh, you know, riders a day to something like 11,000. And there was a, a 40% increase in female riders alone, which is a huge mm-hmm. thing. Women are, women are for a number of very good reasons, much more unwilling to bike between a travel and a parking lane than they are on a protected cycle track. Um, oftentimes because they're biking with children uh, or they're biking um, they're biking alone. And so there, there are factors that change the psychology around what infrastructure encourages people to dump their car. And Vancouver did this and saw this huge increase. And so now they've been on this ambitious, um, 
basically implementation plan and they're implementing their bike network. And there's just seen this huge change in behavior. People are like, I can get from A to B on a bike. Uh, and, and we really have an opportunity in the Bay Area to do that. Um, we have a lot of flat terrain. We have good climate year-round. Um, we have ample width on a lot of our roads, but we just keep prioritizing parking and cars. And so for me, it was like, we're going to get rid of park minimums. We're going to get rid of parking spaces. Um, and we're going to start building this infrastructure to protect and preserve for people the opportunity to move through our city uh, with something other than a car, because that's what's going to start changing people's minds politically about what should we be investing in and doing. So the, the infrastructure sets the, sets the tone. We got to get the infrastructure yep. in, but you need people to you need the will to have the infrastructure, and you don't you get know, the. You can get infrastructure. The thing about, or at least down here, if you show up to public comment, politicians are so used to nobody showing up to anything because I think they just design the process that way. But the bike folks down here started showing up to public comment, and the politicians started to listen and put in bike infrastructure. All the way up until a certain point when, when I, I guess, car advocates started to really notice. And now there's mm-hmm. this backlash mm-hmm. of, like, you know, keep L.A. moving or keep the U.S.A. moving, that, that group. Make America great car great cars. It, yeah. I mean, well, yeah. So it does, you know, you can get down there and start making noise. And get some bike infrastructure in. and then So maybe that's the like the, you, you can get the low-hanging fruit. And before they start noticing. Right. And then it starts to get into. Just, do you, you think know, that's, John, like what, what's going on? Like you, so you're getting this lane. You're, getting, you're removing the traffic lane. You're moving the parking and you're getting the bike lane. Yeah. We, we, the city council voted 5-0 for the proposal. Right. Um, so we went through, the, we went through the, the environmental impact portion of it. We went through, um, you know, uh, traffic analysis, all the things you're required to do to make those types of changes. And we had uh, consultants come in. And they propose designs. And, I mean, for, for a transportation infrastructure nerd like myself, it was like Christmas. Uh, I basically <laughs> sat there and I was like, yeah, I want bigger bulb outs here. I was like, I want, you know, uh, I, I want like a, a left turn pocket for the bikes over here. I want the bike lanes to be wide enough for people who have cargo bikes or trailers for kids to be able to go in both directions without cutting somebody off across a dotted line. Like, we had all those kinds of, I want bike signals that are their own. We need to, you know, we, we talked about all kinds of stuff um, and, and how to do it. What should the, what should the separators look like? How do we, how big should they be? And so the real thing now is we just need to come go and find the, the financing to do it. So the project is approved. It's in our capital plan at this point. Um, and, you know, I sit on the regional transportation um, commission for our city. And so my, my job over the next few years is to go and raise all the money necessary to build that project. Right. Huh? Yeah. So at some point we're going to come and we're going to bike that, network and it's part of a network that goes outside of emeryville or, yeah, it's, yeah so we're we're part of um we're part of a, a bigger um alameda county bike network um our city is on the front end in terms of cities that have been proactive we we took an old rail spur the city was an industrial town for about 80 years 90 years of its, its history and uh it's really turned over into more of a business and retail center in the last 25 years um, but we, we had all these old rail spurs that left Emeryville to other cities and, uh, we reclaimed some of them and turned them into greenways. And so, uh, old rail spurs are now these really wide, um, 
you know, stuff that go through, you know, between residential buildings and stuff, really wide bike um, path. We just uh, did our north part of our Emeryville Greenway. We just redid all the crossings at three of the main streets that the Greenway crosses uh, by doing um, uh, raised crosswalks. Um, we put speed speed humps and speed cushions on the streets to slow the cars as they approach. We narrowed the space for cars to cross, and we give the the bikes and uh, right of way, and there are activated beacons now. So there's motion sensors as the bike approaches the the crosswalk, uh, the yeah. crossing. Um, it lights up in both directions on the streets, telling a car that a bicycle is about to cross. The car has to stop. Huh. Um, so we just did all those upgrades. Those just went in in November, um, and we're about to do the complete the greenway on the south end, which is right by my house. Um, there's a residential 500-unit residential project being built that will have um, the very last piece of the greenway. And on Monday, we are breaking ground on a bike pad-only bridge across um, the Union Pacific Railroad tracks that will connect one of our shopping centers to a residential neighborhood. So we're, we're doing it. We're, we're doing it, and uh, we love having the Bay Trail in our backyard and um, kind of being a hub for this. But to your point, yeah, you, can't, you can uh, bike the greater Bay Area. There are gaps in the network still um, that need to be fixed, and that's what folks like uh, my friends at Bike East Bay have been really um, pushing local governments and regional transportation funding agencies to invest in finishing those gaps, closing those gaps. Um, you know, I biked all the way to, to San Francisco around the north end of the bay, and the first half of it uh, was completely trail. Uh, so, I mean, we, we've got a lot of trail covered, uh, but we, we've got some, some space to go, and uh, my hope is that uh, my time in office will be spent increasing the amount of money that is expended on those types of protected uh, bicycle infrastructure investments. What's your strategy for getting money? Or I'm sure you have. Um, I'm really nice. I'm re- I'm really nice to people. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, getting money is hard, but I think you know you, you you people people want it more than they think. I think a lot of people just, um, you know, it, it's about partnerships. Like you know, listening to other people is key. And so when I talk to my colleagues from other cities, you know, they have their own unique things that they you know that they want and need, and um, you get more done by not by being agreeable, but by, um, by being a partner. Uh, I'm not one to, to kind of like be the greasy hand type of politician. I'm more of the, let's have a straight up conversation. Like I want to see higher investment in this. What do you, what do you need? Well, I really want the regional rail station to come over here. Okay. Well, let's work on those things together. Um, it requires rolling up your sleeves and doing perhaps more work than you might do if you were just fighting for your own thing. But, a lot, a lot of you know, winning, winning stuff is by coalition building and getting other people, um, you know, on board. And I really, I really can't thank enough advocates. I mean, I, my professional job before I was elected, uh, I've been an advocate for a long time. I've worked on homelessness and housing policy, and I can tell you that advocates who show up to public meetings, who have your back, who who support what you're doing, who tell elected, be like that guy. That's the person that. He's, he's representing what we want. Um, it, it changes the tenor of the things that I say, because if people know, like people support people like me sitting up at the dais saying, we need to invest more money in this. Um, you know, my colleagues, they're, they're human beings and they, they take those things seriously. And so it, it creates a different conversation for me with them, as opposed to me just sounding like I'm shouting at the ceiling about stuff. Right. So, uh, I, I really think people becoming more engaged in local government and political, um, maybe not political, but just like public meetings, uh, 
generally and, and, and really talking about what your community needs. That really is an opportunity to educate uh, elected officials who may just not know about the issue the way you do. Mm-hmm. And so there's, so the 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 Bay Trail is what it's that that piece in Emeryville is part of, right? If we want to go up and oh, it goes up. The Bay Trail is a separate trail. So the oh. Bay Trail is like a ring around San Francisco Bay. Um, it goes around. And it's a trail itself in some points. It's uh, on city streets in different ways in some points. And that's um, and then Emeryville has its own bike network that's con- that connects to the Bay Trail. And no, is that is that I'm looking at the map right now. That's not. It goes all the way around where what San Pablo National Wild Ref- Life Refuge is, or is it going across the 580? It follows the 580 along the bay, and it goes across the Richmond San Rafael Bridge, and it comes down um, right by San Quentin in Marin County on the on the west side of the bay, and then it, it zigzags through Marin County all the way down and crosses the Golden Gate Bridge into San Francisco. Now I'm looking for that bridge on the north end. And I see the 580, but that's not where the... The 580, that's the bridge. That's the, that's the Richmond San Rafael Bridge. The 580 bridge that goes across uh-huh, the that, bay, that is the Richmond San Rafael Bridge. So there is a bike a bike path across There's a bike bridge. lane on the, mm-hmm, the top of the bridge. The bridge is a double-decker bridge. Yeah. The top of the bridge, the north side of the bridge, is a two, the, the last bike, the last car lane was converted into a two-way bike lane. And that's fully separated, I'm assuming, by like a mm-hmm. barricade or yep. whatever. Okay, yep. that's cool. Barriers full of uh, concrete. Yep. So your ride, your forty-one mile ride, was it? Was it mostly things that anybody would do, or were there some of them that were like black diamond? <laughs> um, no, I don't think nothing that I nothing that was on my ride was was crazy. I, unless you unless you consider the distance for people who don't do distance. But right. I, I mean, forty miles isn't that big of a deal for me. But. Um, for some people it is, and some people looked at that and were like, "Oh, well, this isn't a reasonable thing." And I was like, "The point is that not that I would, sh- I should or would do this every day, right? It took me almost like basically three hours. We didn't do like a fast pace. We talked while we biked, but like we we did like three hours to get there. Um, and nobody would bike that route from my house back, and you could take a bus across the bridge in ten minutes. But the the, the point was to raise that like there is a network of roads and lanes and trails that allow you to do this. Yeah. And we don't talk about them enough, and we don't we don't make them more accessible to other neighborhoods. We don't have enough branches, you know, off of the off of this kind of trail to communities where people could access it. And instead of sitting on the 580 or the 83 way in gridlock traffic, they could bike right past that on the trail every day, like I do. Right. Um, so it, it's 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 about kind of like raising the awareness that it exists, and also that it's ludicrous that somebody who lives eight miles across the bay. But, uh, by one bridge has to go 41 miles around the bay on two other bridges to get there. Yeah. Like, I feel why, why should that be the way it is? I feel like th- that a lot about a lot of Los Angeles biking, like, you know, you, you could get to the beach in an hour from downtown, you know, but it's really not friendly, you know? Oh no. Um, Traffic lights. I lived in LA a long time ago and that, yeah, no way. I'd be a pain in the ass. I mean, there are way people do it and, and some people it doesn't bother. But um, yeah. do you, so uh, some a couple other things that you've done that I, like I we didn't cover. Oh, um, one of the reasons you were inspired to do this uh, to push forward with the the Emeryville Lane is uh, you saw some you saw a pedestrian get hit. Did you want to? Yeah. So the bike the bike lane that I um, talked about on 40th Street that was already in the works, but subsequent to that, this last summer. Um, I was uh, coming home, 
And right in front of me, I watched a pedestrian get run over by a pickup truck that was, you know, jacked up off the ground. The guy's head was at the top of the, the hood. And the driver claimed to the police later that uh, he was temporarily blinded by the sun when he went through the intersection and hit the man in the crosswalk. Um, and I provided medical treatment to the guy, first response only. Um, police and fire and everything were awesome, and they showed up within about a minute and a half. Um, he had a serious laceration on his head. He was bleeding really badly in the street. Um, and he couldn't feel his hands. He was pretty, sh- pretty much in shock. Um, and I had been hit by a car back in 2005. So I had a lot of, it was a flashback for me to just be in a crosswalk, just like I had been with somebody who had just been hit by a car. Um, and I was really upset by the whole experience. And the intersection is one of the most traveled intersections in the city, and it's currently a four-way stop. And people roll through it or whatever, they're anxious to get through the town, and they, they don't honor it the way they should. Um, and the cross street that it's at, um, 45th Street is technically a bike boulevard. And it's the one stop sign crossing at the bike boulevard where bicyclists um, are afraid to cross because cars don't really, they're all zipping down the opposite direction as fast as they can go. Uh, So I I put on the agenda, I'm on the transportation committee for the city um, locally, and we put on the agenda, you know, how to improve safety on our bike boulevards. And so um, my council colleague, Allie Medina, who I'm going to give a shout out to because she's um, as freaking fantastic of a colleague as you can have, especially Allie. on this issue. She's with that. No, oh, I was giving a shout out to it's Allie. Allie, yes, Allie is the best. Allie, and... shout out. <laughs> woo. Woo, woo. Give, give her, give her a follow, a follow. Evil Allie, E V I L L E A L O Y on Twitter. She's the best. Okay. Oh. Um, she's she's my partner in crime on this stuff. But we we had an agenda item, and we looked at her east west bike boulevards and we said okay like sheros uh, are basically worthless paint uh so we've started a conversation where we have proposed as a committee um and sent it off to our bpac who will review it this spring um we propose to eliminate parking on the bike boulevards to put in protected bike lanes instead um so basically to change the classification for those roads from these bike boulevard statuses to uh fully protected separated bike lanes and our point is like, why not? Like, why not? Why not give people a separated protected space so they're not mixed into this car traffic? And there is going to be a traffic light installed at that intersection now um, that will be signal controlled so that we will not have, um, hopefully, the frequency of people um, moving through the intersection um, against the right of way as we've had in the past to protect both bicycles and pedestrians going forward. No. I'm happy to report the gentleman, the gentleman who was uh, hurt and injured. I was in touch with his family and um, he is almost completely recovering at this point, and he's uh, he's back to work. Oh, that's good to hear. Was yeah. the driver charged with anything? No, right? No, and that's actually a pet peeve of mine. Is if you you read stories um, of people who get hit by cars, you know there is a very famous criminal justice advocate um, in Chicago recently, and she was hit walking her dog, and the driver. Um, was given a citation for failing to yield to a pedestrian, even though she died. And I, I don't understand why, you know, driver's licenses are licenses. They're not a right. You have right. A, basically a permissive opportunity from the state to operate a vehicle. But if you are not capable of operating in a way that can reasonably prevent the negligent or 
we like to use this word accident, and I'm not a big fan of that word, but the, the negligent death of another human being um, because of your actions, you shouldn't be operating a vehicle after that. Um, and you probably should face some form of a criminal penalty uh, because clearly citations doesn't change human behavior. And we've seen an increase in uh, pedestrian vehicle or bicycle vehicle related accidents and deaths um, in the Bay Area uh, over the last few years. It's led to, you may have heard, San Francisco on January 29th is going to convert Market Street, which is its main street through downtown. It's going to become car-free, yeah. uh, which is a huge accomplishment. But they've had this huge spike in deaths, and Vision Zero in some of these cities is a joke. Nobody's seriously tackling this. And I think part of it comes from we don't adequately, um, we don't have adequate remedies and punishments for people who negligently operate their vehicles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we agree. I'm sure you do. It'd be a game changer if uh, licenses weren't so, um, you know, handed out like strip club flyers. (laughs) Like you could actually lose your license. I I don't know. I mean, do they ever? I was going to say candy on Halloween, but you you went there. (laughs) Like like strip club flyers outside of a Vegas casino. Uh Um, (laughs) Yeah. Are there people that get their licenses revoked in California permanently? Is that is that even possible? I mean, even if it's not, I, there's no statute that requires that. Um, there, really? The DMV has a lot of discretion, but the the police off the police department responding has to find cause to refer that to the DMV, and I, I really feel like there should be some presumptive, you know, requirement that the DMV has to review. Some of these things like if a person is injured seriously and it requires medical treatment or a person dies because of that I, I, there should be some higher level of review before a person can acquire or re, have, be you know repatriated to their driver's license and there probably should be some minimum prohibited period of time where they can't because then they have to then they have to really think about it because right now people just get back in the car and then they're actually more dangerous like the guy was able to drive away from the scene he was more shaken up than anybody else at the scene. We all mm-hmm. had to witness what happened, those of us who were there. But this man got back in the truck, and he drove home. And, like, what person is in the right state of mind to drive home after they just ran over a person in a crosswalk? Now, you I mean, be careful crazy. now. <laughs> oh, man, it's such a joke. It's such a joke. If yeah. this was, like, a, a warehouse, a business, and there was a forklift operator who ran somebody over, they would stop everything and figure out a new process, fire the guy, do something. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't just be like, Absolutely. oh, well, get, you know, go ahead. On your way now. Yep. Yeah. So. Exactly. On your way now. That's exactly what happens. <laughs> um, there's a couple other things I want to talk about, but just uh, the uh, Caltrans MacArthur Maze fiasco, which, did you untangle that? Oh. Uh, for the time being, yeah. Caltrans... Caltrans is not my friend. Um, <laughs> we, we're, we sit at the north corner of the MacArthur Maze, which is, some people call it the spaghetti freeway. It's just all, all the freeways come together, you know, at the foot of the Bay Bridge, and they all go to the Bay Bridge Toll Plaza. And I got this notice in the mail back in, I guess it was March, February or March. Um, and it was like, oh, there's a little green postcard, and it said, uh, by the way, there's uh, going to be a public meeting at the Caltrans building in Oakland about potential renovation to the MacArthur Maze. You can read the environmental document on this website. The hearing is, and then the date that it provided was like four days before the mail had come. Uh, and so I was like, what is this? It was like, pick the mail up at nine o'clock at night. So I 
go in, I get on the computer, I pull this thing up, and it's like a 125, 130-page environmental document claiming there is no environmental consequences by tearing down one of the bridges in the MacArthur Maze and completely rebuilding it using one of these four different proposed rebuild options that had various price tags that would close it for 18 months, basically. Um, it, was, it was a joke. It was like, I mean, it was a freaking joke. Like, no environmental consequences of any kind. Uh, so I, I called the mayor of Oakland, my friend, uh, Mayor Schaff, and I was like, have you seen this thing? And she's like, no, what is this? And next day I called City Hall, I called my city manager, she had never heard of it. The mayor so of Oakland. County didn't... Transportation. Yeah, I called everybody, and nobody knew about it. So then I called Caltrans, and I was like, explain. And they're like, oh, well, we need to redo this bridge. And I was like, you can come to my city and do your, you can do an extra town hall in my city, and you can answer questions for us, because if you're going to close this, it's going to displace all these thousands of vehicles onto my city streets, and that's going to massively jeopardize bike and pedestrian safety and a whole bunch of other issues. Um, and so they did, and they, one of the questions that a local businessman asked was, what is the reason why we need to redo this bridge? And they just kept saying, well, we have money, the new SB1 money, and blah, blah, blah. And the reality is, like, just because you have, it's, again, that yeah. problem. Yeah. Just because you have Burning money doesn't mean you should do it. Right. And so we have all these neg- you know, neglected bridges in California, and yet here we are going to redo a freeway interchange and create massive environmental and health impacts and, and safety impacts to bikers and walkers by, by just displacing them. So I kind of made a stink. I got on the news. Uh, <laughs> I brought some other people with me. And, uh, you know, went into Caltrans and basically told them that they were going to have more with me if this is what they did. And uh, we sent a very long letter. My city manager uh, worked with me on this. She was fantastic. We sent a letter to Caltrans telling them all the reasons why we disagreed with their environmental assessment. And they basically, a few months later, um, they they announced that they were not going to move forward with the project. Get so, out of here. Um, yeah, so uh, I, I have kind of a bit of a reputation at Caltrans. I've been told by a few friends uh, at regional and state level, they're like, yeah, people know who you are, and they, you know, they're always being reminded, don't, don't get in a fight with that guy. But it's, <laughs> it's necessary. It's necessary, dude. Like, Caltrans, like, get your shit together already. I mean, like, th- there's not a single thing that I feel like they do well on a daily basis. And they may be mad listening to that, but, like, call me. Let's talk about it. I mean, you can't, you can't just, myopically feel like, okay, I'm going to just keep cleaning and paving the freeway. And that's my, that's my obligation. And, and, and pretend that like, there's no other transportation needs that are intersecting with what they're doing. Um, my, my, we have a new district director up here in district four, Tony Tavares. I'm very hopeful. Um, he seems like a great guy. I'm very hopeful of his ability to uh, be a better partner with local government on these issues and work with us on all the other multimodal infrastructure needs we have because, Caltrans operates a lot of state and has maintenance obligations over a lot of state highways up here in the Bay Area. So we really need them as a partner. Um, but it, it is a, it, it's like you can't win, you can't lose, because as much as you want to work with them, they do stuff like this maze proposal, and you find yourself in the media telling everybody how bad they are again, um, and you're back at square one. Now, so, the money that they were going to spend on this, is it going to now get spent somewhere else more meaningful? Mm-hmm. Have have mm-hmm. is there a way to track this money, and and well, sort of direct so the, it to the, the right SB1 things? SB one money. Yeah. yeah, there's we don't we don't have a lot of say over that unfortunately. So SB one money, um, Senate Bill one, uh, t- a ton of money that is is coming in. Um, is that that's the gas transportation tax? infrastructure? Is that the gas yeah, tax? That's yeah, that's the gas tax. Yeah, but this was a particular and chunk so, of money for this project, right? 
Was it? it well, was... so the mo- so the money was for corridors, and so it's for the I eighty corridor. And so their plan, according to them, when I met with them, was they were going to redo a number of bridges and overpasses all along I eighty from the Nevada border to San Francisco. Okay. That was one of their like things. And so they had identified a whole bunch of them that were either in disrepair or whatever that they needed to do. And so when we got to this one, I said, well, this one, what is the repair issue? And they said, there isn't one. They said there isn't an actual structural issue. It's not, it it has been had a couple repairs on it since the 89 quake, but everything is structurally sound. I said, so why are we redoing it? And their justification was, well, because it's current, the current um, standards for clearance, for bridges, when they build new bridges under the, the state transportation code, is 16 feet. That's the clearance and for trucking purposes. And one of the bridges in the maze um, predates that new requirement. And so it's at like 15 feet. I want to say it's like two inches or something. But the reality is that 98% of the trucks that are on the road can pass through that. They're, they're, but there are now these new trucks, because we need, of course, bigger new trucks, right? So there's these new trucks that have this additional height on them um, that would have potential problems if they don't have a 16-foot clearance. So my next question was, okay, do you have a strike count? Is there a number of trucks that are hitting the overpass as they go through? There was no strike count. There's no evidence that any truck has ever struck the bridge that they were talking about. So my next question was, how many of these big trucks that you're talking about exist and pass through this corridor? They did not provide us a number. And there's no evidence that they go to the Port of Oakland or any other place so this was like, oh, in the future, there may be this need to do this, but there actually isn't a need today. Right. And, and to me, like tearing down a bridge and spending the, the most expensive item they had was like 91 or 100 something million dollars in there to like redo one bridge in that space. For, it wasn't like a ton of space. It was like, wait, I want to say 100, 100 million long or something. <laughs> yeah, 100 million. We've heard to that. Re- yeah, right. A number we've heard before. But to spend this money just to do this because they can... Yeah. It, to me, it's a vanity project. Well, have like, you have you uh, like, <laughs> have you checked out um, Strong Towns with Charles Charles Marone? Um, have you yes. checked him out? Yeah, he he brings up a lot of these kind of points where we're just blowing money, uh, yeah. improving clearances by a foot and this and that, and basically induce. If you make it possible for a sixteen foot truck to get through, someone's gonna build a 16 foot truck and bring it through there. And it's like that money, we should be taking money and putting it into rail freight and getting the trucks off the freeway and back onto the freight system. We're like accommodating this, uh, rogue sort of freight transit system with, you know, big rigs using our freeways to transport goods rather than what we used to do, which is transport goods by, by rail which would I, it, it's more efficient and it gets these big rigs off of our freeways, which the big rigs f- beat up our freeways and we're spending money on maintenance just to support big rigs on freeways when we should be spending that on freight, in my opinion. I totally agree with you on the good movement point. And, you know, we've had a conversation uh, at the air district, one of the big, um, uh, infrastructure places we regulate is the port of Oakland and there's thousands of trucks a day that come into it. And the highest asthma rate in uh, the Bay area is in West Oakland, which is adjacent to the port. And it's because of all the diesel and PM 2.5 that's emitted from these trucks. 
And, you know, the justification is we're going to grow the port another 20%, another 30% um, in size because of all the economic opportunity from Asia and other places that come through the port of Oakland. But there's no conversation about uh, how do we, how do we like match that with a transportation system that works? And I agree, it should be a two-pronged approach is my, my opinion. One is, to your point, it should absolutely be on rail and that the, the rail lines, the freight lines leave that port and the first town they pass through is Emeryville. And so, like, they have, a, they have a full clearance to go through here. They can take goods in and out of, you know, the port as, as they wish. But the second thing is, if you really do need trucks, then they should have to operate electric trucks, non-diesel-emitting trucks in particular, to a certain point out of the metro area. Because totally. they go, oh, it doesn't get the distance. It only can get me 200 miles or 300 miles. Great. Then you should go two to 300 miles. The cab should go two to three miles. It should plug in at some place outside of this place where – you have millions of people living, yeah. and you can get into your regular cab, if that's what you need to do, to go across to Utah or wherever you're driving, and the, the, the thing charges here. When you come back with your empty trailer or your, your haul back, you switch back as you come back into the Bay Area back to a non-diesel-emitting vehicle. Like we idea. should be inventing or building that system if that's what we want to have. Clean yeah. air should be something everybody has. Take that bridge money and put it in that system. Yeah, it's, it's impossible, though. It's, it's, I, that, I was... That's, and that's, that's my biggest hope is that Caltrans, there's, there's leadership changes at Caltrans, um, and at the state level, the governor uh, appointed Tamika Butler, who I'm, I'm anxiously excited about, people with a vision, um, having more control over decisions at the high level. So my hope is that we will have a, um, a change in, in heart on the house, what the priority should be in the coming years. Hmm. And you... Uh... One last thing is that you helped to defeat Prop Six, which which or you raised awareness. Um, they were trying to roll back the gas tax, and you yeah. fought that. Oh yeah, the, okay. So SB one, it they passed it. The Democrats passed it in the the state legislature, and then there was a, a movement to put a proposition up to reverse that. And you, you were one of the Prop voices. Six was the effort to redo, undo yeah, it. Yep. to undo it. I, I was one of the voices too that that wanted to keep the gas tax. But then I hear stuff like this, like you know, there. I, I was also afraid. I, on the one hand, it was like, okay, here's a way that we can increase the cost of gas, and you know, make it less palatable to drive and more palatable to take public transit. But then on the other hand, you're raising all this money for new roads, and it looks like, you know, there's... It, well, it was, like, was the tax already there, and they were trying to roll it back, though? Yeah. That, yeah. The state legislature yeah, passed so the tax. Yeah, exi- the tax existed, but it was an expansion of it. Um, it was a pretty significant expansion of the bill that was passed in the legislature, and Prop 6 attempted to undo it. Um, but you, you got it right there, Don. Like, the, the devil's in the details, and one of the issues was... Um, there were a lot of demands in, in exchange for votes that that extraction method, there was these demands that all the money go back into um, what people thought they were voting for uh, as it was being put to them, which is, you know, it has to go into freeways and it has to be rebuilding this infrastructure. And so if you remember any of the TV commercials, it would be like a police officer saying, we re- need to rebuild the freeway bridges and the ambulance guy would be like, I need to get safely to the hospital. And so they would, they, they talked about that as a public safety measure um, and an investment in public transit and very little of the money on a 
on a um, proportion or per capita basis, very little of it goes into these other types of infrastructure transit because people wanted to say, be able to say, well, there's a nexus. Your, your tax money on gas will pay to further the system you're using. Um, and, and, I, and I really think that that is like the missed opportunity. I really think that's the missed opportunity. So I did fight to defeat Prop 6. Um, I did do some rallies and stuff. I did a hair and heels event with Senator Wiener in San Francisco where there was a Republican in Orange County. She, she said, oh, no, no woman would ride a bus in, you know, with, ride a bus in high heels or take, get on a bike with her hair. Um, and, and so we rallied a whole group of folks. Uh, I kind of challenged him on social media to, to join me. And uh, we did a whole down Market Street in San Francisco. People donned wigs, uh, <laughs> high heels, and we all got on bikes um, just to have a fun day and tell people to vote no on Prop 6, and it was defeated. Um, so that money is really important because I'll, I'll, there is money in there that does cover um, bike infrastructure, like surface streets and arterial roads that can't have bike lanes are covered in that. So it, it is still critical resources that can be used, but you're right that it's not um, that the proportion of it goes is really skewed towards the status quo, which is what we need to change. Yeah. But at least it comes out of gas and not something else. Not it does come out of gas and it does discourage. Yeah. It does. And people will make the argument it's a regressive tax. It taxes the poor. Uh, I've been doing nonprofit advocacy on behalf of indigent poor people for over 20 years. And, um, you know, there, there is a lot of merit to the concern that this disproportionately harms poor people. Um, but there's, there's also this competing interest at this point, which is, okay, like when, at what point do we, do we actually get to make a systems change? Because there's a lot of evidence about how lower income people own older cars that pollute more and have lower emission standards, lower quality, uh, exhaust standards and, and like getting and getting them funding to access transit. And so that was that missed opportunity was that more money should go to transit operations so that people who are lower income have more meaningful choices, can more readily access it. And that's tied to housing, which is another whole conversation. People should have affordable housing everywhere, but especially near mass transit because uh, lower income and working income households will give up a car immediately if they have an accessible transit option within a half mile of their home. It's statistically been shown many times over. Well, Looks like our work is practically impossible, but uh, we fight no, on, right? No, be optimistic. No, no. Yeah, be optimistic. That was not Come the on. takeaway here. Uh, that was not. It. I, I missed an opportunity. <laughs> no, I would have said that you're using a lot of creative approaches here, and uh, I guess and to generate, uh, you know, awareness to get people mobilized, and so we're gonna we're gonna see what comes next. Out of you, yeah. out of you. Well, you'll see a lot of you'll see a, a, it'll be a different story, but a lot of the same narrative. We just we have to really move that needle and get people talking about um, active transportation. It can't be the car all the time, and otherwise, you know, we're 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 going to be really in for a lot of hurt. I think in the future because it's not sustainable the way we're building it. Yeah. So I really am grateful to you guys for inviting me on here for all this time to talk about to geek out on transportation stuff is a lot of fun. Thank you. Right on. Thanks for coming on. And, uh, with that, we'll, uh, we'll close out. We'll close out bike talk. No, we have one more call. We have one more call. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. All right, John, John. All right. I'll see you guys later. Take it easy. Yeah, you too. Take care. All right. Good night. All right.
We're going to take a break. I love that Google sound. Yeah. We're going to take a break, and then we're going to come back. And what do we have? Christine Mills. Christine Mills. Okay. So we'll talk a little bit more about you know what she's been doing. We had her on. Well, she's got her. I think she has an update. Hey, Christine. Hey. How are you doing? So I'm right. I'm doing all right. We just had a good talk with <laughs> John Bowders, Emeryville uh, council member. A lot of um, work that he's doing up there, which if you, I guess you'll listen when the podcast comes out. Up in the Bay Area. And, uh, Emeryville. Wanna, yeah. Been there? Uh, yeah. Well, I have friends who commute. I've actually been curious about... Uh, just whether all the com- the commuter support for that being such a busy hub is mm-hmm. actually a great a ecological benefit because so many people take the bus and the train up to work there. Oh, yeah. So it's where it's really on the map now huh, for us or yeah. here at Bike Talk. Yeah. Now you said Emeryville is is a stop on the Amtrak. It is right. And the Amtrak like goes to Emeryville. You know, I would have like let's see, I could check it for you, but I just I just know people, I years ago I was hoping I was looking at Pixar for uh as part of a graduate project. And I just remember being amazed at how many things were happening in that uh, what used to be a pretty small town, I think. Yeah. Well, uh we know all about it now. <laughs> we got a good we got a good rundown. We gotta have John back on somewhere. Yeah. He's he's doing some cool stuff. Um, so awesome. speaking of cool stuff, Christine, you're, you've got, uh, one crit- critical event coming up and, and one fun event, right? Yeah, actually. Yeah. But, and, uh, but their, their titles are, are opposite because we have our, um, one is called actually critical cargo because it's a play on the, um, critical mass and cargo bikes coming together. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that is, I'll go blow back like forward into the future and then back to our most recent event. Um, but Critical Cargo is happening on Sunday, February 9th, and it's just going to be a kid-friendly, family-oriented cargo bike ride where people are going to be bringing their own um, bikes that they're already using to get around a busy city with kids. And so anyone who is, like, cargo curious should consider coming, and you can check out, um, you know, the different sort of bikes that are available now because the price point has really come down um and made some of these bikes a lot more affordable yeah um so that's february 9th um and then but coming up um and and we talked all about it on our last uh yeah absolutely absolutely um but the reason i wanted to talk to you guys tonight is that we had a date change for um the walk for safe streets that um la river communities for environmental equity is working in partnership with uh, Southern California Families for Safe Streets. 
and uh, neighborhoods united for safe streets to <clears throat> bring a general safe streets action onto the 1800 block of Hyperion, which is where a woman named Christina Garcia was uh, killed in a hit and run uh, last January. And um, there was never a public vigil for her. So this, this isn't that. This is more of a safe streets action. So everyone is welcome um, in the sense that it's not a, it's not a uh, private, quiet event for the family. Um, but we're just trying to make a space to, to not forget these incidents and to always, re to, you know, find a way that we can uh, bring together our, our cycling groups, our pedestrian groups, our community groups, our student families. You know, these, this accident happened right around the corner from uh, middle school, you know, and that age group of kids is always like walking, biking, busing. Um, so <clears throat> we just want to keep attention on these issues. And um, it seems like, unfortunately, we're not going to get a lot of like civic governmental action uh, without public pressure. So if you want to join us for some public pressure, uh, Saturday, it'd be Sunday, excuse me, Sunday, January 26th at 11 a.m. And we're meeting at the Lyric Cafe on Hyperion. And then we'll be doing, uh, have some brief conversation and hear from a few speakers. And then we're going to do a walk uh, to King Middle School and circle back up to uh, Lyric Cafe. Oh, okay. And I'm very glad you're doing this. And uh, thank you for doing it. What keeps you doing things like this? You know, I am, I feel like when I lived in, when I lived in a busier part of the city, I lived near uh, Sunset in Santa Monica, like Sunset Junction area. And when I was living there is when I was able, to, I was motivated to, through like friends I knew through the LA County Bike Coalition, like Colin Bogart and other people, Joe Linton and people I saw who were living without a car, Jimmy Lazama, like I just knew a lot of folks from the Eco Village and uh, the bike kitchen early days who were making uh, it happen box. in Los Angeles without a vehicle. And I went car free and it was, it was amazing, you know, cause I, I could walk to sunset or Santa Monica and grab either one of these, you know, there are multiple bus lines that run all the time, like nearly 24 hours a day. I could walk up to Vermont and catch the red line. And then when I, after I moved to Elysian Valley, I was really struck by how difficult it is to do that if you don't live off of a main artery. Um, and like here in Elysian Valley, we have one bus, uh, the 96 bus that comes approximately every 45 minutes. And then we have the gold line is a, a 20 to 30 minute walk from the neighborhood. And a lot of our residents are elderly, like they're not going to make that walk, you know. Um, so I think I had a renewed interest in just seeing the challenges and, uh, uh, getting around the city without a car. And on top of that, just having a, having a kid, um, really terrified me as far as the statistics for, um, how many children, especially boys are, are hit in like after school lets out in that window, that afternoon window when the school bell rings and then they're kind of walking home or walking to their buses. Um, and I just, it makes me terrified. <laughs> to be honest, I'm just, I'm just terrified. And, and even years, like 10 years ago when I was car free, I remember thinking to myself, if I ever get hit by a car, I will be in a crosswalk because it's 
felt always that crosswalks were the most dangerous place to be. Um, and I've been, unfortunately, the, the teenager we lost in our neighborhood, he was hit in a crosswalk. Hmm. You know, so I think we really, the city is just not doing enough um, to yeah, prioritize that, it. And it. In fact, they I use that as justification for not having crosswalks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> False sense of security. Uh, the, yeah, they they'll, they're really reticent to put in crosswalks because of that, which is like backwards. Yeah, it's yeah. it's creating a sparse, you know, sparse network of crossing points for pedestrians, and then drivers are used to that, and it's like this self fulfilling prophecy. Well, and so many things change only after someone dies. Like, I don't know if you're familiar with, like, that Silver Lake area. Not, I mean, it's not exactly where we're going to be having the, the walk for safe streets on January 26th. But near the Trader Joe's there on uh, yeah. Hyperion and Rowena. The light. I yeah. remember, yeah, yeah, there was, like, no light. And I remember, like, how incredibly difficult it was to cross that street. And it wasn't until someone was killed that they put a light in, you know, so I just like how how can we see how can we help like let our city know that we want them to take action before before something terminal happens? You know what I think it's going to take? It's it's like the 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 agencies have so much power here versus the politicians. I feel like we almost have to just sort of sidestep the politicians and just nag the hell out of people at the agencies about this stuff mm. you know it's like politicians going to be in there for four years or 12 years at the most and then someone that's working at the LADOT has been in there you know I don't know how long John Fisher was in there but career people are in there much longer than a politician is and if you just I feel like if we just nag those people you know make their lives a little miserable they'll <laughs> they'll just you know oil the squeaky wheel you you you're an expert at like getting into board meetings and stuff like that so maybe you should uh let us all know where we where to go <laughs> and I, which meetings to show up to and who to bother yeah i don't know you just you got to go on so many of these little meetings and they're always held at inconvenient times so mm, middle of the day i think yeah. it's just got to be like phone calls to you know, it's like find out who the, the district person is for that area and just keep banging away at, at that person at LEDOT and just make their life miserable until they satisfy us. You know, it's like mm-hmm. they have a job. They just want to go to work and go home and be happy. And if we make their Stop life from miserable, yeah. yeah, just make their life miserable until they give us what we want. And I, I mean, you know, I don't know. I feel One like that's strategy. a better strategy than trying to get the politicians to listen to us. Okay. <laughs> but I'm a cynical, you know. That's, I can see the, the, uh, the personality emerging, the, the persona here, uh, the cynic. <laughs> yeah, sorry, let me put that guy away. No, let me get back positive. Well, but listen, c- cynics and, and optimists alike are all welcome for the Walk for Safe Streets. So I think nice it's going to be, what's nice about this as a, as a gathering is like, I, we we created one in, in like right on the heels of the tragedy in Elysian Valley when uh, Christian Vega was struck and killed. Um, but there's we, I just I'm hoping that that we can find a way to to not to like to not let these just simply be a moment of grief, but to come back and say like, hey, it's a year later, and you know what? We haven't forgotten. 
that right. that this is a dangerous street and and that there is a, there is something to be done to make it safer. So January 26th. Yeah, thank you for organizing January 26th. this. Yeah. Thank you so thank much. You. And also Christina, you said you might help us with some really more thematic bike talk episodes like about the language of blaming victims of tra- traffic violence or our new our new sure. segment our new segment oh, the game segment. show yeah we got to we got to roll that out it's going to be a game show yeah. based on uh... <clears throat> hey count me count me and I, I have my <laughs> I have a MFA from USC and I I'd be happy to put it to work boom <laughs> so. yeah. let's grow this let's yeah. grow this bike yeah. talk yeah count shit. count me in count all right. me in all right thanks Christine all right thank you for all you do guys all thank right, you take care okay good night, good night. Wow. Okay, that's a positive note. That is a positive note. We can get yeah. more resources into Bike Talk. There are people willing to believe it or not get into uh, <laughs> radio, you know, broadcasting. Yeah, we have we got it all here at KPFK. We can get into a broadcasting career, work the boards, edit our stupid comments out. Be and great. they have a lot of time. There's there's food. There is food, but we're not supposed to bring it into the studio. Mm-mm. Yeah. So just eat outside. But it's still food. Yeah. Bagels. Today there was a, uh, what was that? Coffee cake or something. Something. Okay. Well, you got anything else to add, Nick? No, I'm good. I think I'm satisfied with the show that we did. Yeah. Tonight. Yeah. yeah. We started out with some infrastructure problems, but we got them all tightened up and mm-hmm. and now we're we're signing off. On Bike Talk, KPFK live stream. Um, and the this, podcast to come. And the, and the podcast to come. So, uh, all right, folks. Ride, take the lane. We need like a sign off. Yeah. I had one. What like slogan. Oh, uh, bike the talk. Okay, we need to work <laughs> on that. Okay. So, anyway. Um, yeah, that's good. Shows I care Every turn of the pedal Cleans the air Green in the green I'm saving the planet Just like my friends Daryl, Sean, Toby, and Janet No greenhouse gas A tiny carbon footprint Up your ass Thanks for listening to this episode of Bike Talk. If you want to hear more, go to kpfk.org, navigate to programs, and choose Bike Talk. On the Bike Talk page, click on the archives link to play or download shows posted in the last four months. Go to biketalk.com and copy or click on the RSS link to subscribe. Our Twitter handle is BikeTalkPFK. On Facebook, we are Bike Talk. You can become friends and join our group.